back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Haley Salvian, filling in for Justin. You got one hour left. We appreciate you on Friday and Monday. We'll have Brent Gunning the rest of the week joining me. And lots to break down this week as opening week has arrived finally. Spring is in the air. And the Blue Jays will play some meaningful games in a few days. And to break it all down with us is our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Blake Murphy, co-host of the Fan Drive Time and many other things. How's it going, Blake? Good. How are you guys doing? We're good. We um, are excited. There's a buzz in the air um, here about the Toronto Blue Jays and Alec Manoa getting dubbed the opening day starter. Now, I felt confidently that he deserved the opportunity, and also I feel like he would um, appreciate the opportunity quite a lot personally just with the honor and the upper, and the chance to kind of rewrite the discussion after the way that the playoff start went. Um, what do you think this means to a guy so young in his career who's already been given a lot of praise and, and accolade um, to have this opportunity to kick off a season that means a lot to him? Yeah, I think it's pretty huge. I think it's pretty huge for him and the team. And obviously these opening day decisions, you know, a lot more than just who's the best starter can go into it. And Ben and I kicked it around. We we had uh, your pal Julia Kreutz on to kick it around. And we all kind of came to Manoa as the quote unquote right answer, but Mm -hmm. all for kind of different reasons. You can make a performance case. You can make the case of, you know, he's the guy who all last year, It felt like if you were coming off a bad game or a bad series, he was the guy you wanted on the mound. He was the guy you were pretty sure, even if he didn't have it, would give you, you know, six innings, even on days that he didn't have his best stuff. And then the big one and the one that it seems like, at least from the clips on social, that John Schneider and Pete Walker went with was, well, which of these guys has the potential for this to be Mm -hmm. their job for a long time to be the opening day guy? It's been since Roy Halladay where the Jays had anyone start more than two in a row of these things. Uh, And it's nice to have that level of stability. It's nice to have that, hey, you're our guy. And we know that every five days and on the opener every year and this year, it's awesome. It turns out it's the season opener and the home opener. Mm -hmm. He gets a double dip. Um, Which guy is that? And Manoa is someone who's only 25, who hasn't even hit the part of his career where he makes money yet. Um, you know, it, it looks like he could be here for a long time. And that's kind of the way John Schneider delivered the news. You know, let's not make this a decision ever again. Let, let's just have it be the regular thing uh, that Alec Manoa is the opening day starter. So I think it's great. I, I think it probably means a lot to him. And I, I think it's a good tone setter for a team that has a lot of, you know, fun young pieces that we've watched grow up the last couple of years. But really a, a team that also needs to turn the page from, fun on the rise team to know you're here now and you're competing now. And I think, I think that's a good indicator of that as well. I think that's a great uh, next step into where I wanted to go with, but the serious level of this team this year, I I mean, I'm sure you've been having the same conversations on the drive home, but on the drive in, we've been talking to insiders that have been down there saying that there's just a different air around the team this year, a level of, I don't know, dial it in. Um, As you mentioned, it was a fun young team. The expectations are even higher this year, which was to win the world series, which is a bit strange to say because they were the favorites or up there last year. But do you find that you've heard the same thing that, The Blue Jays are approaching this spring training, especially with having John Schneider have his full first spring training as a manager with the Toronto Blue Jays, with a different level of seriousness. 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't been down there to experience it myself, but you're right. Like, we talk to the same kind of people, and that does seem to be uh, the tone. And I I know people will use the home run jacket as a sort of avatar (laughs) for that, right? It's gone now. Uh, Some other team is using it, apparently. Um, So, yeah, like, that that element's gone. But realistically, I think, and and to to plug something here, I, I wrote the kind of season essay for the Jays at Baseball Prospectus this year, and that's kind of what it was about, that... On the way up, you know, Pat Riley used to call it the innocent climb. It's everything's fun. Um, you know, no one's looking at their next paycheck yet. No one's fighting over opportunities. Um, and, and if you don't go all the way, you're still in that part of the development curve where you can look at moral victories. You could look at things like, hey, 2020, the Jays get a taste of the fake expanded postseason. 2021, the Jays get a taste of a playoff race down the stretch. Um, Well, all that stuff's gone. And two playoff games last year didn't really satisfy anyone. Um, I I don't, I think in baseball, you can't, you can always want the World Series, but the playoffs get so random that it's hard to say World Series or bust. But I do think this is a team that should come into the season thinking, okay, well, let's take the wild card nonsense out of it let's win the division and then that's already a leg up like that gets you through the first round that puts you in a better spot for the second round uh and it also kind of makes a statement to teams like the yankees and the rays and the orioles who i'm seeing some people pick for a playoff spot um even though you know last year might have been a a little bit too early for them um so yeah I, i think that's where the the bar needs to be and i think you know, I don't think the bar was too low last year. It wasn't serious enough. But if you keep doing the incremental thing where, oh, every year you just get a tiny bit better and that's a positive, well, you'll win the World Series eventually, but it'll be in like 2072 or something like that. So I would prefer that to be 2023, maybe 2024. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think division should probably be the target, and that's a nice stand-in for just a really serious start-to-finish quality baseball season none of those kind of two-week layoffs that they had last year so obviously Blake we're we're getting really close to opening day here and John Schneider's made some some decisions final this week Manoa being the open day starter one of them and that Kikuchi is in the rotation yeah baby what's your level of confidence in in the Jays kind of starting five pitchers here this season yeah it's I, I don't want to be negative about Kikuchi. He's had a great spring, 25 so strikeouts in 18 MVP innings, uh, two earned runs. Come on. Look, he, on here's the show. thing, though. No. I know. Here's the thing. If you, if we had, if this were, this conversation were at the very start of spring training and you said, Blake, spring training stats don't matter. What is the one stat you would care about for spring training pitchers? I'd say walks. I would say mm-hmm. walks is the one thing that uh, tells me a little bit of something. So the fact that he had 10 walks in 18 innings, not my favorite. Having said that, Look around the league, sort by who had the best rotations last year. There were like two teams in baseball that had a good fifth starter. The bar here is pretty low. All the Jays really need Kikuchi to do is give them five innings out every time and not be a disaster. And, you know, I I know sometimes we can get caught up in, oh, well, his ERA was four or 4.25 when he was an all-star, whatever. Let me ask you guys this. If Kikuchi went out every fifth game and gave up three runs over five innings, would you call that a success? Uh, depends what Barrios is doing. Yeah. Okay. But it's not bad, right? Like, it's no. not the end of the world. Yep. I that's mean, an ERA of 540. Like, no one would look at that ERA and be like, yeah, that's awesome. But with this offense and with how good the top three in the rotation are, you can survive with Kikuchi not being, like, all-star version 
of Kikuchi. So to answer the actual question, like, no, my confidence level hasn't changed a lot, but my bar for him was pretty low mm -hmm. uh, anyway. So I, I don't know, a lefty that throws that hard and has one or two good breaking pitches like that, I'm always going to have a little bit of patience with. And lucky for Kikuchi, like, it, it's kind of great that nothing dramatic or bad happened in all of camp because uh, there's no fifth option behind him right now. Mitch White's still not healthy, and I uh, don't think I need to see Drew Hutchison or Thomas Hatch on a major league mound anytime soon. No, we're good. Um, okay, so let's talk about Barrios because I do believe that they're kind of connected just in the sense of how you feel about this, obviously, this whole rotation. But Barrios made all these offseason changes, and he's been tiptoeing his way back into that. Obviously, we saw him at the World Baseball Classic, too. Um, I don't know how serious you've been watching every Barrios start, but just in terms of all the offseason changes, tweaks that he went through and where he's at now. Um, where's your level of confidence in him? It's interesting because, you know, Burrios challenges the nerd in me because a lot of the more advanced metrics still really like Jose Burrios. So you look at Enosaurus's stuff metric from the athletic, or you look at this new like machine learning pitch bot thing that Fangraphs has, or, or you look at some of the, you know, pitching projection systems that use multiple years. And they all say, Jose Barrios was the exact same guy for five years before last year, and he was really, really good, and nothing really changed last year. He was just bad. So we're going to bet on all those years where he was good. Mm. And that's cool. That's really encouraging. And then, like, the the like jock or bully side of me, like, beats up the nerd and is like, yeah, but did you watch him pitch last year at all? Like, go sit in your locker and, and let's not look at those uh, projection numbers. So I, I'm torn a little bit on it. Um, I, I don't love, and I talked to, we talked to Ricky Romero about this on the show on Friday. Um, the constant tinkering is tough because like, it'd be easier almost if you were like, yeah, he lost a mile and a half on his fastball and it started getting tattooed and he just had to find that velocity back, but it was something different. Every start out, he was moving to the third base side of the rubber, moving to the first base side of the rubber, um, changing his hand placement, throwing his curveball more, throwing his curveball less. And, and just that kind of chasing your tail, um, seems like pretty mentally exhausting. So I, I was hoping that the off season was like a nice mental reset where Brios could kind of scrap all of that tinkering and, and just start fresh. So to have him come into camp and be talking about all the little changes he's making again uh, is a little worrisome. Actual results have been fine. So, um, you know, maybe we can lean on that. But yeah, I, I don't, I mean, the answer here with both is I, I don't feel great about the four or five, but you really only need one of those guys to be solid because your top three is so good and your offense is so good. So uh, I'm okay having a little bit of a low bar with the Kikuchi Burrios duo. Is there a major question in your mind, Blake, that hasn't been answered yet through kind of training camp and spring training? I know the team was, you know, more or less set from a roster building standpoint. It's not, there's been some. I guess roster battles, we could say, but nothing, you know, super major or top of mind. But are there any questions that you still have about this roster heading into opening day? Well, the Dodgers did send uh, Bradley Zimmer down to the minors yesterday. So I, I'm even. a little. <laughs> no, um, no, they won't do that. They will. I think they're done. They've got their own Bradley Zimmer in Nathan, in Nathan Lucas yes. now. Um, it was funny to see him like competing for a Dodgers job, though, when uh, <laughs> the Dodgers of the Dodgers. Um, I, I would say, you know, the questions that I have are more kind of like big picture st strategy. So one of the things I'm really curious about is with the new rules and with John Schneider since the day he took the job saying he wants to be a little bit more aggressive, who's going to have the green light on the base paths? Um, right now in camp, 
the only two guys that seem to have had the green light are Bobachet and Whit Merrifield, and they're a combined five for ten stealing bases. So that's not that's not great. But this is a team that should probably run a little bit more. Has guys low in the order um, like. Varsho, Kiermaier, Biggio when he plays, Espinal, Whit Merrifield. Those are all guys who can run at least a little bit. Um, so I'm curious to see what that looks like. And then, honestly, this is like not to be all Rogers. Dude. I'm very fascinated to see what the Rogers Center looks and plays like. <laughs> I'm still a little surprised that they didn't redo the Dunedin walls and dimensions so that we could get some reps in playing on what uh, what Rogers Center is actually going to play like. Um, but it's pretty crazy that we've just had like 30 games of spring. We're going to have 10 road games. And then all of us will get to see this team play in a completely new environment midway through the first month. Um, I'm very, very curious about that. We also saw yesterday, apparently there's like a video board under the big video board in center field now. Oh, I don't know if that's just like, like a OVO mirror center with their big video board. Yeah. Oh, I don't God. know if that's just like a huge mirror for Kevin Kiermeyer or what, but I'm um, down for that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm pretty excited to get in there and get a good look at it. Uh, okay, so there's still some remaining roster spots this week. I don't know if it's a battle anymore because it seems like Otto Lopez might take that final position player spot. Um, looks like Zach Pop filled that pitcher, um, I guess, rotation out. You got the AAA rotation with a couple guys that, holy, if uh, if we have to dip into that, might not feel as positive. But how close do you think Nate Pearson was? Because he's always an interesting story. Um, obviously, we've, we've circled this one through a couple times, but it looked like he made a lot of progress in the last year in general. He was he was pitching, like, really well. Uh, doesn't make the, the you know, the, the spot. Sounds like he's going to go back and play some AAA, which is good. But do you think it was close between him and Pop? I do think so. And I think, you know, part of it is probably also that the second Mitch White is healthy, whoever won yeah. that spot has to go down. Um, and maybe you don't want to disrupt Nate Pearson, who really hasn't had any sustained stretch of pitching regularly. Like he threw 15 innings last year, not including the Dominican Winter League that he went down to, which he went down to because he didn't pitch a lot. Uh, he only threw 45 innings before that, 18 the year before that. This is just not a guy who's pitched a lot. So even though he's moving to the bullpen uh, and they want to use him as this kind of multi-inning reliever, I think it's probably going to be pretty good for him to just get in a bit of a rhythm where he's pitching pretty frequently and being the last guy in the Jays bullpen and then going down to the minors after three weeks when Mitch White's healthy or whatever, because Mitch White doesn't have options and can't go down. Um, I, I think that could be a little disruptive Whereas Zach pops done the up and down thing before. And they're probably a little bit more comfortable with that. Although I don't know, they said that this was done and then Zach pop got absolutely torched yesterday by the Yankees. So I wonder if they're, I wonder if they're revisiting it mentally a little bit. Um, I, I'm pretty sure we'll see Nate Pearson at some point this year as that kind of multi-inning relief arm, especially now that uh, the Jays granted Jay Jackson his release over the weekend. So that's, you know, that would have been probably on paper next guy up from AAA. I think that's Nate Pearson now. And we know, you know, how quickly things change in, in the bullpen. Like Taylor Saucedo opened the year on the in the bullpen last year. Things changed pretty quickly back there. We'll see. We'll see Pearson, I would say sometime by May, probably just because injuries happen. And I'd imagine uh, he'll he'll pitch pretty well down in Buffalo. Is there someone you're tracking for for a breakout season, Blake? And, you know, maybe Otto Lopez is an interesting candidate for that. He was pretty impressive at the World Baseball Classic, and he's going to have a, a role in the Blue Jays this year. Looks like he's going to claim that final spot. What do you think? Yeah, for... it, he, 
he's probably going to claim that final spot. I, I think so. Um, I, I think it makes sense like over a Nathan Lucas type where he's right-handed and, and more positionally versatile um, in terms of a breakout. I, I don't, I just don't know where his playing time is going to come from. Like this is a guy who spent multiple weeks on the team each of the last two years and had like one plate appearance. Um, poor guy just sits there and is like, uh, you know, the, Ailish, what it's do like we used to call Caleb Joseph, the, the vibes coordinator? Oh, vibes coordinator, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he brings um, a good vibes. He looks like he does. Yeah, I've heard great things about right. him as a dude. I Sometimes know him and Vlad are, yeah, him and Vlad are tight. Um, elsewhere in the organization, I, I think Addison Barger is the guy everyone's probably watching now. Tight he's shirt. Third. Yeah, bit like I, I don't really <laughs> understand the science of how he has such a good arm because his body looks pretty inflexible. Um yeah, a little bit top heavy, but he can hit. And honestly, the guy from camp, and this is way off because he's there's no chance he's going to play for the Blue Jays this year. But I don't know if you guys got a chance to see late in any of these games, Peyton Williams, mm. who's like a 6'6", first baseman. He's just a massive dude uh, who's really fun to watch in. I kind of hope uh, he makes it through the minors quickly so we could see him uh, maybe in Buffalo at some point because watching a guy that big hit is always really fun. So Blue Jays, a lot of new faces this year. I think a lot of people are excited about what Dalton Varsho brings to the team, mm-hmm. um, how possibly he's rotated in catch. I mean, they did the fan graphs, obviously said that. I'm sure you saw this, that Blue Jays have the best uh, depth at catcher of the entire MLB, and he was included in that name because he technically could be. But how do you see them rotating the catching position and also Dalton Varsho and the excitement level about him and what he brings to this team? I don't think they're going to use Dalton Varsho as a, as a catcher very often. I, I think you know, they've at least said that, that Mm -hmm. it's an emergency situation. Um, I think at the very worst, you know, we saw Zach Collins and um, Tyler Heineman and guys like that on this roster for times last year, because if you're going to DH Jansen or Kirk fairly often, it's nice to have someone around just in case of injury. Well, Dalton Varsho can at least be that, right? Like instead of carrying, you know, this year's version of Heineman and Zach Collins is, is Rob Brantley, who's cool, um, you know, nice backup catcher to have around uh, 33 years old and has played eight major league games in the last six years. So don't think you want him in the lineup very often. <laughs> uh, so it's at least nice you have Varsho as that kind of emergency guy. Um, I think Fangraphs is right, though, that the Jays have the best catching duo. Like most teams struggle to have one catching duo the only or one catcher who, who can hit. I think the only team that has two guys that can hit really is maybe Kansas city with Sal Perez and MJ Melendez and Melendez is kind of like Varsho in that they'll bounce him around the, the outfield to get him additional reps and things like that. Um, Kirk and Jansen, you know, we have all these newfangled catching defensive metrics and every time they come out with a new one, Jansen or Kirk or both are right near the top. So whatever the Jays have been doing, working on the catchers defensively has been really effective. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a little tight. I would have said, midway through the off season that I think Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk are both like pretty big fixtures in the, in the starting lineup, switching off catcher and DH, but against righties. Now it looks like Brandon belt's going to be pretty much the everyday DH. So that'll, that'll pinch their playing time um, just a little bit in terms of Varsho, He's going to play every day against righties. I would imagine against lefties may like not a straight platoon, but one of him or Kiermaier will probably sit out against lefties to get Whit Merrifield in there or have Santiago Espinal get in the lineup and Merrifield move to a corner outfield. Um, you just don't want your lineup loaded with lefties against other lefties. But Varsho's real good. And, and I'm super, the the non-catching thing, um, 
is is fine. Like anyone who plays fantasy baseball, guess what? He's still catcher eligible for this year. So you could sneak him, do the sneaky, put him in a catcher spot, get 150 outfield games from him. Um, but I do wonder too, if that helps him, you know, stay locked in a little bit more. He played 150 games last year. So not from a health perspective, but we've heard any number of catchers tell us over the years that, yeah, if you're back, if your bat starts struggling, you can't really dedicate the same amount of time to it that you could at another position because your first priority is your pitchers. Um, so maybe this gives him a chance to dial in even more uh, offensively by not having to worry about the kind of off field and, and game calling catcher load. I, I think Varsho is going to be a lot of fun. The the people who didn't get to see him a lot with Arizona the last couple of years and only got a taste in spring. He's uh it, he's a lot of fun to watch. Like a guy who's like kind of built like me running around center field as one of the best uh, defensive outfielders of the game is, is pretty fun to watch. And he's another guy that I do wonder if John Schneider lets him go on the base paths a little bit. Um, not like huge speed demon first, the second or anything like that, but he's always been a, uh, you know, an above average runner in terms of stolen base success rate. And then like taking first, the third on a single second to home on a single things like that. Uh, I'm super excited to watch him. Shifting to to the Raptors here for the last few minutes, Blake, you know. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I know. Well, I want to ask like your stance on or your perspective on on this Raptors season. I mean, are are you in the camp that like, you know, they're fighting for eighth place, you know, they're winning the games they need to win down the stretch to do so? Or do you look at teams like the Wizards and the Trailblazers who – you know, our, you know, the Blazers might be, uh, you know, shutting down Damian Lillard for the rest of the season. These teams are going to be getting top 10 picks this year. Like, would you rather see the Raptors have, you know, leaned into that a little bit more versus, you know, being in this fight for eighth or ninth place? Like, what, what do you think about the direction that this team has taken, you know, from the deadline on? It's fine right now. Um, you know, if you if you try to bottom out of this play in spot or had the last couple of weeks, you know, you're not. You couldn't have made up a ton of ground. Now you go back to the trade deadline, and yeah, I, I my stance at the deadline was, Jakob Pertl's great. He's going to help offensively. He's going to help defensively. Everyone loves him. Uh, it's nice to have him back. But what is the point of going from the eleventh best team in the Eastern Conference to the seventh best team in the Eastern Conference? There's not there's not a lot of reason to do that. Um, now I know you you get Pertl's rights, so you can sign him in the offseason, things like that. They kind of doubled down on that further by getting a 32-year-old vet in Will Barton as your end of the roster guy. And now, once again, Jeff Doughton's playing more minutes than any of these bench guys, and you don't have a roster spot to convert them. Um, you came into the season with Ken Birch, Otto Porter, and Thad Young all kind of sharing the same uh, vet guy in the forward rotation role. Um, so they've kind of you know doubled and tripled down on, we need vets to support this young core multiple times over the last year or so. And it doesn't really do a lot for you when you're one of these in-between teams. Um, I I haven't loved the kind of edges of the roster decisions like those. Um, I I think it goes counter to what made the Raptors so successful, finding hidden gems like like Fred and, uh, to a lesser extent, Pascal, uh, Chris Boucher over the years. I, I think it kind of runs counter to that and is part of why they've struggled to find the next Chris Boucher or, or turn a Malachi Flynn or Delano Banton, uh, Justin Champagne into something. Now, 
where they are right now, all of that stuff is done and I can't really change it. Like it, it's fine. They, they're not going to like, even if they had lost yesterday to Washington, there's still two games up on them um, with only seven games to go. Washington can probably out tank you to miss the spot, at least with where they are. Uh, you might get the host to play in game. So at least you get that. I don't know. I think they estimate about 2 million in revenue per playoff game. Uh, so you at least get a little taste there. And look, the one and done format is, uh, of the play in tournament is like, it's pretty fun. And I'm sure it'll be good learning experience for these guys. But I have trouble getting excited or, or getting too optimistic about anything that is going to result in. Yeah, the winner of this play in tournament is going to get destroyed by Milwaukee or Boston. It's hard for me to, after the last couple of years, and especially after last year, where this was a, last year's team was a better version of this team. It's hard for me to get too excited about that, even if they're playing decent basketball right now. I mean, we played a clip today of Fred talking about this post game too. I'm sure you've seen it um, or heard it so far. We're just talking about the play in and how, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really love it either, but that's kind of the situation that they're in. And maybe the most positive down the stretch is just someone like a Chris Boucher playing well, Jeff Down Jr. playing well. Like there's been some things that we could take if we look at the future of this Raptors team, but you got to claw your way in. They got to play the heat tomorrow night, which will be a big one. Um, you know, our, our buddy is returning to the town, Kyle Lowry. This is a must win for the Raptors. It should set up for good viewing tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, Blake, appreciate you joining us. Oh, how, how are you enjoying March Madness? Oh, it's great. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Um, I had a friend down at one of the games yesterday and uh, yeah, being there live for a game that ends on a long replay review Crazy. does not sound like, <laughs> does not sound like the coolest viewing experience. I was also a little disappointed. I know LSU is a way more fun team mm. uh, on the women's side, but I thought it would have been really cool for both Miami teams uh, to have snuck into the final four as these like big underseated long shots, uh, but LSU a little too much to uh, to deal with there. It, it's funny to compare the the women's bracket and the men's bracket because the women's brackets had some big upsets too. But like we're gonna see two number one seeds go tonight, and I still don't think anyone's taking like even though we've all been primed over the last couple of weeks of like every upset happens. There's nobody better than a four seed in the final four on the men's side. Like I still have a lot of trouble seeing anyone beat South Carolina. So that'll be, that'll kind of be the, the marquee viewing uh, for the remainder of, of March madness here. <laughs> does seem like they've got quite the, uh, quite the uh, dynasty going on over there. Um, yeah. Although Caitlin Clark had a 40 point triple double yesterday. So oh, maybe if they get Iowa in the finals, <laughs> yeah, maybe if they get Iowa in the finals, then uh, it's a different story, but at, at least I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't go quite as far as JD is to say like the upsets aren't great because then you get worse games later in the tournament. Yeah. But I never agree I, with him anyway. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> I do at least like a little bit on that. We're still going to get like Caitlin, Clark at South Carolina and and maybe Ohio State, uh, our pal Haley McGoldrick's team, yeah. um, maybe all in the final four on that side of things too. The men's the men's final four, it's like it's gonna be fun, but I like do any of us know what to make of any of these games or or like what to think of them? No, no there's not even there's not even you like big draft prospects in the final <laughs> four. It's uh it's a little odd. Yeah, lots of lots of intrigue nonetheless, but uh, it'll be a bit of a different stretch. But you got MLB opening week to get ready for. Enjoy the buzz, Blake. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. This is Blake Murphy, host of the Fan Drive Time and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. We've got Atiba Hutchinson joining us on the other side of the break, Captain of the Canadian men's soccer team. They won 2-0 yesterday in CONCACAF Nations League, or sorry, Saturday in league action. Um, they're coming back to... 
BMO Field tomorrow as they host Honduras. And there's still tickets. We are looking during the break. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll head down there. We're going to chat with him. Um, getting back to BMO Field is always special. Um, first time that the team was out since the World Cup back in November this Saturday. Let's chat all about that and what's next for this team with the T. Hodgson on the other side of the break. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Haley Salvian filling in for Justin Cuthbert today. Haley, appreciate it. You're almost on your way out. You can catch mm-hmm. Haley the rest of the week on Hockey Central, five to four to five p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 960, and of course, writing for the Athletic. And I've got Brent Gunning filling in for the rest of the week while Justin's in Costa Rica. Sounds nice. Someone that's been traveling all over the world. Tiba Hutchinson, midfielder and captain of Canadian men's soccer team, joining us this morning. How's it going, Tiba? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thanks. Great to have you. Um, excited to have the, the squad back in action. First game since the World Cup back in November. A little bit of a time off, a reset. You guys went 2-0 on Saturday to kick off a CONCACAF Nations League action again. Uh, what's it feel like to be back out there on the pitch? It uh, feels great um, just to get back together. Uh, you know, a few months since <clears throat> since the World Cup. and uh, We always enjoy being together and representing the, you know, our country. Uh, putting on the jersey and it's been a great start to this this camp and uh, we just wanted to make sure that we we had the right approach in in that game uh, against Curacao and uh, we did exactly that we you know we played enjoyable football and uh, we played the way we're used to playing which is you know our 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 standard so yeah it was a great uh, great start to this camp and then another important one here at home which we're all very excited about, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, always nice coming back to you know Toronto and, and Canada. So, yeah, it should be another good one. Yeah, so Tuesday night, uh, tomorrow night at BMO Field, of course, the, the first home game since the World Cup. You guys have had some really great memories over this last stretch. Um, we are one of the first players that we've gotten a chance to talk to since the World Cup. I just want to know kind of like what your reset now has been when you look back at your team's performance and and how it went for Canada like maybe some reflections um learning lessons even I know of course winless is is the result but maybe some things you took from it that isn't just the scores um yeah I think obviously it's it's it was a a dream come true for for everybody everybody you know involved in the team I think Everybody in the country, uh, you know, we really enjoyed every moment of that. Kind of went by like too fast, you know. You just get—it feels like you just get got started, and then uh, you know we were out of the tournament, um, you know, which was unfortunate. But you know, what we wanted to do was was go there and you know really make a lot of noise, um, you know, play the type of football that we were used to playing over the you know the cycle of four years uh, for the qualifying and just really put Canada on the map. Uh, most importantly, we wanted to win games, um, and, you know, we we didn't get to do that. But I think, uh, you know, we turned a lot of heads and, you know, opened a lot of eyes around the world, um, which is something we really wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, just an amazing experience overall. Um, you know, we had a lot of people just give us, you know, positive feedback and just to see the things that had happened in our own country, you know, with the bars and the schools and, just the excitement that it brought to to Canada was, um, yeah, very very special for for all of us, and you know, really um, really made us feel proud. Um, and like I said, we didn't get results, 
um, there's things that you know we we've learned, um, and we'll just continue to work work on to to improve, to get better, and just be ready for the next time it comes around. You know, in in our our home country, and, uh, in front of our own fans, and uh, we'll just have. Uh, you know, we'll be more prepared for it and, and really ready to just, you know, do bigger and better things. And TB, you already mentioned that you guys get to have this kind of homecoming. You get to play at BMO. I mean, you're from Brampton, so I'm sure it's always special to to kind of come back home and play on that pitch. What, what kind of, you know, reception are you guys expecting tomorrow night? You know, a nice homecoming from, from all the Canadian fans. You can have, like, friends, family there. What's that going to be like for you? Yeah, um, like always, we, we've got a lot of friends and family that come out to support us. But yeah, like you said, it's it's um, it's going to be a special one. Uh, you know, you see how it is with a lot of teams that that go back to their their country for the first game after a World Cup, and just the appreciation they get, and you know, the, the fans showing all their support. And uh, yeah, that's I guess what we're we're expecting as well at home. Uh, I think it'll be a great turnout. Um, they've always. You know, been there, uh, especially over these last uh, four years for us. It's it's been amazing to see how much more um, you know people are, are really supporting this team. And uh, yeah, tomorrow's another you know another start at another three years of preparation for the next World Cup. So um, just all of that you know put in together, uh, we're, we're just expecting it to be a great day uh, in, in Toronto. You know, there's been there's a couple of younger, uncapped players that made this Canada roster for for Nations League. As as a veteran and the captain of this team, Atiba, how what kind of role do you have, or do you what kind of role do you see yourself having? You know, in you know bringing these younger players into the team and along in the early stages of their career. Uh, I think what's most important is that these guys just come in and they feel feel comfortable you know um just you know that energy they need the energy from from all of us and just to let them know like look you're here for a reason and uh what you've done has has gotten you to where you are now so just you know feel feel relaxed obviously you, you got to come in and work hard because that's the standard that everybody sets here um but yeah it's just about you know just just feeling like you're you know you're a part of something you know special and just to, to be you and just express yourself in every way that you can. Uh, I think that's what's always helped me come into any new team, uh, especially when I first started with the national team. You, you look to those to the older players that have been around a lot and uh, just look for that acceptance. And uh, that's the most I can do and, and just let these guys feel comfortable and, and, and let them know, you know that they belong here. We've got Captain Canadian Men's Soccer Team Atiba Hutchison on with us today. So... You guys haven't been in action too much, but Canadian soccer has been in the in the headlines a little bit since the World Cup. Um, Nick Bont is out as president, of course, with some some labor disputes. Um, not about the change specifically, but just how important is it to have some synergy between the two national programs and Canada soccer moving forward, and kind of just like the level of unity that everybody in Canada soccer has now as you approach this important cycle for both the women and the men. Uh, yeah, the level of importance is, is huge. I think uh, moving forward, you, you need that. You can't really be having, you know, uh, where the, uh, you know the two are not seeing eye to eye. Uh, I think that's how um, you know re- really players uh, feel the most uh, comfortable and, and ready to. I mean, regardless, the, the team is always ready to give everything and, and you know represent the country. But I think that synergy is, is really important. Um, to just build something strong and just have that trust in each other. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important.
you know, Atiba, you guys, at one a win or a draw, I believe, against Honduras would give you guys, you know, qualification into the final. Um, so how big are, is this game coming up tomorrow? It's huge. It's huge. Uh, you know, it's, this is a, a trophy that <clears throat> we're in the, the mix of playing for. So, um, you know, we're here at home. Uh, we have to go out there and have the right approach. And um, if we can continue to do what we've been doing over these last few years, uh, you know, we should be all right. But um, just men- mentally, we're, we're prepared. We're going to do everything. Uh, today, it's a quick turnaround for this game. Not too much, you know, time to rest and, and recover. But, uh, yeah, as I said, this is a huge game for us, and we really want to go out there and put out a good performance and, and put ourselves in a position where we can win a trophy for, for this country, which we haven't done for, for many, many years. Here's a weird one for you, but uh, a stat nonetheless. You played in your 37th different country um, as a member of Team Canada on Saturday night. You can't pick Qatar, but what's been maybe your favorite place to play to represent your country since you've done it all over the world? Wow, yeah, it's a lot of a lot Your passport's of been stamped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, a lot of stamps. Wow. Um <clears throat> I would say now it's it's Canada for sure. I I mean not just now, but I've always really enjoyed coming home and, and playing in Canada in front of uh you know, my family and friends. Um just to play at you know, at a world stage in front of your you know, people that you've had so much support from him and um just to get that backing from a whole country and it's been getting better and better over the years so it's always nice coming uh you know playing in in bimo um and yeah and in recent years um going to other places uh, in canada and that fan base over there as well uh, such as vancouver and mm-hmm. uh, edmonton um yeah it's been really great for me to play you know in front of canada i always really look forward to it well, we're excited to see you here tomorrow night, BMO Field, back in action, back at home. Um, enjoy the night. Best of luck. We'll chat with you a little bit down the road. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. That's Atiba Hutchison, midfielder and captain of the Canadian men's soccer team, as we mentioned. They're here at BMO Field hosting Honduras tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Um, first home game since the World Cup, as you yeah. mentioned, and expecting a, a big welcome home party. And yeah. uh, I think we should all be there to do so. Mm-hmm. And a draw against Honduras tomorrow will qualify them for the finals of Nation League. So as he said, all right, it's going to be go. you know, a big one. Beating Curacao also qualified them for the 2023 Gold Cup. So, you know, the World Cup didn't. Go great for Canada, but they're back in action. They're winning games. They're they're making it to the finals, so it's good stuff. It's good stuff for Canada. It's all about what you learn in those moments, too. Um, okay, quick update on the FanX Cup standings. I know this has nothing to do with you, Haley, but just in case Justin's listening okay. from Costa Rica, I once again whooped him in terms of our picks. Didn't win, but uh, our, our three or five picks for um, the match play this weekend. Sam Burns ends up winning, but... I had Scotty Scheffler third in terms of the rankings. Uh, Cantlay, round of 16. Day, who was my little mid-of-the-round pick, uh, gets to the quarterfinals. Connors and Kissner, nothing. Uh, Justin, his best performance was Max Homa, round of 16. So none of us with the win-win, but I just wanted him to hear it from me in Costa Rica if the podcast is playing that I'm still 
one step ahead of him, <laughs> 1,000 to zero in terms of, I was close. I thought I thought I was going to get another one there, but uh, my guy Sam Burns, who I picked last week, ends up winning this week. So anyway, that's Fanex Cup standings. I think we'll do it again this week with um, Brent Gunning, who's going to join us, which isn't fair because he's a big golf guy, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let him pick for Justin. Maybe we'll see. All right. Uh, we got the final four set for NCAA March Madness. You got the Elite Eight set for women's basketball bracket as well. You got the Frozen Four in a little while. So none of that to pick from tonight, but we do have... Um, NHL, MLB, and NBA to go through. The Jays are playing, of course, their second last Grapefruit League game. You can tune into that at 1 p.m. You can get that at Sportsnet. Um, that'll be a big one because now things are really ramping up here. Uh, you probably see most of the actual lineup for the Blue Jays, and we'll keep that going. Um, all week long, it is opening week for the Toronto Blue Jays and the MLB, so lots to come for that. Haley, now let's go through your wake and rake picks. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to start with yours? We were close, but didn't win on Friday. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. New Jersey Devils let me down on Friday. It happens to the best of us. It happens. Yeah. There's somewhere you're leaning Um, tonight. I mean, the one game that I'm really looking at that I think is intriguing, um, I'm not, you know, the Devils are actually one of the options here, but I'm not going to do that again. We're not going back into the Devils. I might be. Uh... Is the Seattle Kraken-Minnesota Wild game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Minnesota Wild have a pretty decent lead. Like, they're first in the Central Division right now. Colorado Avalanche are creeping up. But the Seattle Kraken are first in the Wild Card. They're trying to get back into the top three of the Pacific. So this is going to be like a playoff-type game. Mm. Um, the Kraken would be, what is it here, plus 110. Yep. To bet on the Kraken on the money line. Or it's 180 for the Wild on to cover the the puck line, the puck yeah. line. Mm. so i'm either gonna go with the kraken winning or the minnesota wild winning by two i mean i i saw and that the, kraken puck line i thought you know I, I, I like the kraken as of late yeah i think i like the kraken here um you know this is obviously a big game like i said they've dropped down into the wild card they were holding on to a pretty good spot in the pacific um top wild card spot they've got a three point cushion seven points up on the calgary flames so i think i'm going to go with the kraken here uh the minnesota wild have a couple injuries still no kirill kaprizov uh no gustav nyquist mm-hmm. those are some pretty big uh emissions from the lineup so i think i'm going to go with the seattle kraken all on right this one kraken here. on the money line i like it's plus money too so it could help boost up our parlay uh looks like it's mark andre fleury and philip Grubauer in net. If that changes your perspective at all, doesn't matter. We're locking it in. Um, I am going to go to the New Jersey Devils. Even though they bit us on Friday, I'm going back to the well here. I like them to beat the Islanders just in regulation on the money line. It's uh, it's pretty good value. It's minus 125 where I'm seeing it just to beat the Islanders. Obviously, these two have a little bit of a, a rivalry. Um, New York, New Jersey right there. Close in terms of their fan bases, yeah. it's going to be a fiery one. Uh, Islanders trying to stay in the playoffs here. That's, that's a right. big two points. I don't mind it, though. I think it'll be a good game. 7.30 p.m. Um, I'm liking this one a lot. Just devil straight up on the money line. I know we uh, we didn't love it last week, but I'm going to believe in it. Vitek Vanacek in net versus Ilya Sorokin. It's going to be a good one. So I'm liking that one. That's going to be my wake and rake pick. Um, let's keep it going. So let's uh, go through some of our submissions. Yep. 
And we can then take a quick look at just the championship odds to close up here. So Ian says, good one tonight. Uh, easy one. Booker over 28 and a half points against the 30th ranked defense against his position. And then Halliburton over 10 assists if he plays. He likes to send those ones in. So <laughs> Okay. And then he also says, in honor of Justin, futures bet FAU plus 650 to win March Madness. Now, Ooh. that people were on FAU, and we're going to talk about that as I go through the picks too. Um, good morning. For today's anchor, I'll take Julius Randle over eight and a half rebounds. So Haley, for perspective, Julius Randle, we have a Hall of Fame okay. of betting. So people that like just consistently hit. Julius Randle was maybe our first ballot Hall of Famer. We bet on him every single <laughs> okay. game and he would do it. So this is a good one. And Jules will go with former warrior James Wiseman to record a double-double tonight. <laughs> also, just for perspective, Julie, Julia, uh, Juliana and Ron text in every day. And Jules is like a huge Golden State Warriors okay. fan. Um, so she'll find a way to <laughs> pick anything <laughs> Warriors-related. Yeah. Uh, good morning. Corey from Port Hope here. For my Wake and Rate pick, I like Colorado on the puck line tonight against Anaheim. I also want to mention that somebody texted in before the March Badness Tournament and said that FAU was a team to look at. Shout out to whoever that was. That was quite a call. Now that person also texts in here, Chad from Peterborough, who said, "You bet when I sent that month to that text two months ago that FAU to make the Final Four cash at plus four thousand. But if you hit it at the twenty thousand to win, you got a couple more days for that. Um, a day early, but he likes UAB minus two and a half tomorrow in the NIT semifinal. So we can't pick that one today. But Chad from Peterborough deserves a shout out for his future pick on FAU. Okay, a couple more here." Um, this is Neil in Newfoundland. Good morning. Going with WTA Miami and Mar- Martina Trevison plus five and a half games versus Yelena Ostapenko. Ostapenko hasn't covered the, the size spread in five matches. Trevison hasn't lost the set spread in four matches and has won her last two. So he's going Trevison okay. plus five and a half. Neil specifically picks names that are either French or Polish <laughs> or Russian yeah. or just to, to get us here. Just got to keep you, you keep just you awake. Gotta, you just got to go with it at confidence. Yeah. <laughs> Steve from Sutton goes over six and a half in the Oilers in Arizona. Yeah. State University Coyotes game. Uh, that's a good one. Feels um, like an easy one to smash the over on. It sure does. Um, I liked that one, just Oilers and the puck line, but it's still not not a lot of juice. Um, nah. Mavs and Pacers under 234. This is Jay from St. Kitts. He says, no Doncic tonight because he got a 16th technical <laughs> foul. He did. You're right. Uh, he's in some trouble there, so he likes the under in that game. Okay. Yeah, and the Pacers are not good. No. That's um, a pretty good one. Okay, so we have a couple of selections here. Oh, we got one more sent in here. Nick from Milton says, Sabres and Habs over. Now, I will say that the Sabres are notoriously an over team. It's set at seven, though. So you could tease it down to six and a half if you want, but the over seven looks like it's plus money. So that's another alternative option. Um, Okay, so we we can always go back to our Hall of Famer. Do you want to go? I'll let you pick if you want to go like basketball or hockey. We could do a three hockey parlay. We could do basketball and two hockey. Let's 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 keep the hockey. Let's go with the let's go. Let's hit the over on Oilers. Okay. Arizona, yeah? Yeah, that's Steve from only... Sutton. I oh, I guess that. there was Colorado on the puck line, too. So I liked Colorado on the puck line. I also liked the Oiler and the, uh, the over in the Oilers, Coyotes. But if it's at seven, which I'm seeing it at, uh, maybe an easier pick would just be Colorado to win on the puck line. Sure. Do you like that one? Sure. It's your final day on the show. You don't have to answer to your losses in the morning if, if you <laughs> want to pick this one. <laughs> that's what you like? Sure. Okay, so that's uh, Corey from Port Hope who also... 
um, loved the FAU pick. So Colorado on the puck line tonight versus Anaheim. We'll lock that in for our wake and rake. Now, all together, we've got Devils um, just straight up money line against the, uh, the Islanders. Sorry, the Kraken straight up money line against the Wild. And Colorado on the puck line versus the Ducks. Our parlay is plus 650 Ooh. today. Um, that's a good juicy one. And... Our futures here quickly, NCAA championship odds. If you're looking to get those bets in, UConn, the favorites to win, minus 130, followed by San Diego State, plus 350, Miami, plus 500, and FAU, plus 550. Got some time to tee those up, um, but that's your futures bet for your final four, which is the second highest combined seeding ever in a final four um, for March Madness because... Only it's the chaos, baby. It is the chaos. It is the madness. Only 37 people in the world out of 20 million brackets I'd like to these talk four. to one of those people and kind of just have them walk me through. Like, were they just putting together random brackets or did one of them actually sit down and think, hmm, I mean, FAU's not a bad team. That's the thing. I know they're, you know, not from mm-hmm. from like a major conference, but that's a, that's a good basketball team. But I think it is still shocking to see to see, you know, well, Dusty May, <laughs> like a Florida belt <laughs> team make it this far. <laughs> well, lots to tee up this week. Haley, thanks for joining us on Friday and Monday. Yeah. Appreciate it. You can always catch Haley, um, as I said, on Hockey Central from 4 to 5 p.m. in sports at 960, and of course, on the podcast. And then she's a writer at The Athletic. She'll have lots of great stuff coming. Women's World's around the corner. And of course, just national hockey coverage from Haley. We'll have yeah. Brent Gunning. The rest of the week joining, uh, filling in for Justin. It is opening week in the MLB. So much to come for the Blue Jays talk this week. And Maple Leafs back in action Wednesday. But you've got a massive game between the Heat and the Raptors tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena. We'll tee all that up. Gunning joining me tomorrow morning. Have a great Monday, everyone.